Welcome to Econa Day Unplugged. Today is the last day of July, Tuesday, July 31st. I am Ann Picker, Econa Day's Chief Economist. And with me today are Jeremy Hawkins in London and Mark Pender in the U.S. Before Mark preps us on the FOMC announcement when that will be given on Wednesday and employment on Friday, and Jeremy gives us a brief survey of his overload of important economic data, along with the Bank of England, uh, we should catch up with the Bank of Japan, which issued its uh, policy statement very early U.S. time today. After 10 days of conjecture from when the first rumors of possible change in BOJ policy surfaced, the bank has once again vowed to maintain, quote, extremely low interest rates and revealed a series of tiny adjustments to policy, quashing 10 days of speculation that it was mulling bigger changes to its policy framework. Seems to me that was on was analyst wishful thinking. After being forced three times in a week to intervene to cap bond yields, the Bank of Japan ended its two-day policy meeting with a declaration that it was strengthening the framework for continuous, powerful monetary easing. The bank held its benchmark interest rate steady at minus 0.1%, but introduced forward guidance on policy rates and said it would permit greater movement of the yield on 10-year Japanese government bonds, that is JGBs, as well as allocate more of its ETF purchases to those that track the topics index rather than the Nikkei. The yen dropped in value while the topics briefly erased its morning losses to trade flat before its sinking 0.8% on the day. Meanwhile, the yield on 10-year Japanese government bonds fell for four basis points to 0.5%. The BOJ had been forced to intervene in the bond market for the third time in the space of a week Monday after the yield climbed to 0.11%, its highest rate since February 2017. The changes announced involved efforts to make the BOJ's massive stimulus program more flexible. The bank repeated its pledge to continue to purchase bonds so that 10-year JGB yields would remain around 0%, but added the line that the yields may move upward and downward to some extent. Analysts, however, said that the flexibility in bond operations was already implied by the around zero commitment and the new line did not imply the expanded trading range that some markets participants had been expecting. The BOJ also introduced forward guidance for policy rates, saying that extremely low levels will remain in place for an extended period of time due to uncertainties linked to the planned consumption tax increase in October 2019. In line with the expectations, the BOJ said it would alter the balance of its per-year 
ETF buying program so that a greater proportion was focused on that track of the broader, broader market cap weighted topics. Mark, get us ready for tomorrow. Well, actually, um, I have a question, Ian, about the, uh, the BOJ. It, it kind of baffles me. I mean, uh, this has been their um, super aggressive monetary easing. It has, it's been going on for 20 years, uh, is it, and it doesn't seem to vary very, uh, very much. Is this a, a, a permanent um, – how long – is this just a permanent situation? Permanent? <laughs> well, if you go back and look at how long it's been – uh, how long it's been at negative zero, it's been a few years. You really have to go back far to find any substantive interest rate for Japanese um, bonds. They've uh -huh. really well, I been under, I thought I had the graph pulled up, but it's obviously gone away somewhere. Well, uh, do they ever lose heart? or Do they ever think that they should shift policy? Is this policy adequate? I mean, um, it, it always seems to be a repeat. Well, you know, they're firmly in belief that long enough this policy will succeed. The CPI in June was on the year up 0.7%, uh, slightly below their 2%, <laughs> to say the least, mm. uh, inflation target. Uh, however, it's better than the zero that it had been. So mm. you can take it from there. Okay, well, I will. Um, there is more variation, excuse me. Uh, with the Federal Reserve, uh, we're going to be getting uh, their meeting today, Tuesday, and uh, tomorrow will be their statement. Uh, there is uh, outside expectations in Akanode's, uh sample for a rate hike. Uh, this would uh, be, politically, it would be an assertion of independence, which um, is hard to miss a chance to do that. But... Um, uh, and it also would follow last week's 4.1% uh, jump in uh, GDP. Um, and the Federal Reserve is in the business of uh, monitoring risks and um, reducing them as much as they can. And uh, capacity stress is definitely a risk right now. We're seeing it uh, in the different reports of price pressures at the producer level. We also had a little bit of an uptick this morning in consumer inflation expectations, which uh, is very unusual. It hasn't really shown life, and it's been moving up since April. So there's a little pressure there. Still, there's really, really... Uh, no chance, really, uh, or very, very little chance that the Fed will surprise anybody tomorrow. It's just a statement. There'll be no forecast and there'll be no uh, uh, press conference. So it'll probably, uh, it's probably going to have a little bit of a hawkish edge. It, even though this morning we had uh, mild readings and in inflation on the core PCE price index, which is their uh, main inflation gauge, very little movement there, just right around the 2%, not moving higher over the 2% line, uh, but uh, holding right about there, which pretty much where they would want it. But it's, of course, the risk of that, uh, that the employment uh, labor market is so strong um, that there is the risk, of course, of uh, inflation. And uh, even though we really haven't seen it 
to a great degree, uh, it's still there. And uh, in any case, um, we're probably, like I said, we're going to get a hawkish edge to a, a statement tomorrow. Certainly the employment report on Friday will be um, – uh, the expectations are very strong. All the indications going into this report, jobless claims. Uh, we had uh, uh, today's co uh, consumer confidence report. We had jobs hard to get. That's very, people say that's very, very low jobs. Uh, um, and that's a very positive indication for the employment, uh, for the uh, labor market. The economy consensus for Friday's non-farm uh, payroll is 190,000. Um, that would be very, very uh, solid. Uh, and uh, a little bit, uh, another tenth lower in the unemployment rate to 3.9%. Uh, now, let's not forget the unemployment rate popped up to 4% in June, but that was due to discouraged workers uh, returning uh, to the workforce. And what I mean by returning to the workforce is that they're pounding the pavement looking for a job that, that gets them into the labor uh, force statistics. Um, and uh, uh, earnings are a, a little bit of pressure uh, is seen in the monthly uh, economy's uh, consensus is looking for a 0.3% monthly rise, which is uh, a little bit uh, uh, noticeable, uh, although the year-on-year uh, rate isn't expected to move from 2.7%. Uh, it, uh, it's been a very, very, very busy week of, uh, so far of economic data. It's going to be a very busy week uh, going right through. And if everything kind of hits expectations, we'll be looking again at um, improving growth centered in the factory sector, not, not including the housing sector, with uh, price Pressures still being contained below the consumer level, probably looking for two more rate hikes uh, before the year is out. Thanks, Mark. Jeremy? Okay, well, I suppose just first comment is the knock-on effects from the, the BOJ decision. I think if nothing else, European bond markets have, have taken the announcement, which they're still uh, digesting relatively positively in the sense that uh, Japanese buyers have been extremely important for the Eurozone bond market, um, particularly the French bond market. So the fact it still looks as if we're going to have these low yields in Japan, that's got to be at least relatively good news for, for Eurozone bonds. Um, more domestically focused, though, as folks probably saw last week's CCB meeting was notable for just about nothing, bar the fact that the president, uh, Draghi, sounded that much more confident about underlying inflation picking up later in the year and, and also still seems very happy with the idea that the first quarter economy slowdown would just be temporary. Now, this is a bumper week for European data, which really gives us an opportunity to see just whether or not the ECB got it right. And we've already had uh, what three of the most important reports. And as far as that's concerned, I suppose really ECB-wise, it's been both good and bad. The good news is that the flash July inflation figure came in, the headline at 2.1%. That was up from 2% last time. And more importantly, the core rate, that was up at 1.1% from 0.9%. So the ECB is going to be happy about that. But and of course, there's always a but with inflation in the eurozone. Uh, the core, new, the latest core, only reversed the fall we saw coming through in June, and it's still within what has been an extremely tight range over the last year or so. In fact, even now it's below where it actually was in July 2017. So, in other words, there's been no real change in trend, which remains as flat as ever. Not so positively for the ECB, and it's something we talked about before, needs to be kept an eye on, I think, because the, the GDP figures, we had the so-called preliminary flash second quarter GDP data. That showed a straightforward quarter-on-quarter -quarter increase in uh, total output of 0.3%. 
So annualized it US style, that would be 1.2%. Now that was down from the first quarter and indeed it equals the weakest performance we've seen by the Eurozone economy since the second quarter of 2014. So while uh, developments US side may be booming, on the Eurozone side, it appears to still be slowing. Of course, this is in contrast to the ECB's contention that the first quarter slowdown was just supposed to be temporary. Also from what we've seen from the, uh, the flash PMIs for July and the economic sentiment index for July. That was released earlier on this week. It's a very good snapshot of what's going on in the economy generally and also has a good correlation with Eurozone GDP. That produced its seventh consecutive decline and its weakest reading since last August. So if you kind of put a straight line through that little lot, it doesn't look as if the Eurozone economy is perhaps is quite living up to what the ECB thinks it's going to do. Now we don't have the German GDP numbers yet but France that saw um, just a 0.2% quarter on quarter increase in GDP. Italy was only 0.2. That's his weakest since the second quarter of 2016. Even Spain, which has been helping to hold up Eurozone growth, that's for a decent enough 0.6% quarter on quarter increase in GDP. But again, that was its weakest since the second quarter of 2014. So in other words, so it remains a, really a question mark as to whether or not the Eurozone economy is still slowing down or whether it's bottom. But if it does continue to slow, then clearly it's going to raise at least some doubts about the ECB ending its quantitative easing program at the end of this year. Thursday, we get the Bank of England meeting this week, and this is going to be a really interesting one because I think it is almost a 50-50 split in the market now as to whether or not we'll see another hike in interest rates. On balance, it's probably just about the case that uh, the market's anticipating a 25 basis point hike in bank rate. We should put it up to 0.75%. We won't see any change in quantitative easing until interest rates are a lot higher. So the numbers have been quite mixed, but it's going to make it an interesting call, and market it should react almost to whatever comes out as the, the final result. Also, just quickly mention for people look, who like looking at the details of the economics, we'll be getting an update on uh, the Monetary Policy Committee's thoughts on R-STAR. Now, that's the real equilibrium level of interest rates that keeps the economy growing at its full potential while keeping inflation on target. Now, it's really a long ton, a long run thing to be worried about. But if we know what our star is and we know what the inflation is supposed to be, which is 2%, that's its target rate, then we can work out the appropriate level for bank rate. So if the bank comes out and suggests that R star should be 1%, then inflation rate supposed to be 2% plus 1% gives you 3%. And that will give a kind of a target rate for financial markets to think about for bank rate further down the road. If the Bank of England suggests it could be minus 1%, then that would suggest that bank rate really should top out at 1%, which is what, just 50 basis points from where we are now. So it's something just to be to bear in mind because markets, particularly the longer end of a yield curve and things like that, will be taking note of it to, you know, to try and get a feel about, well, if interest rates are going to go up, how high they're going to go. Jeremy, I have a question on uh, the UK. Um, yeah. The... Uh, upward bias now for uh, rate hikes. Um, now, is that tied to economic strength in the UK or is that a currency uh, issue importing inflation? Uh, how should we look at that? Well, good question. I think on the bottom line has got to be it's due to supposed economic strengths because if it's a currency issue, then while well, playing around with interest rates suggests you've got a, you know, an exchange rate target. We don't have one of those. Um, but if you look at the economic numbers, well, I mean, it's really been a mixed bag. And we had weakness in what? Retail sales, they fell in June. 
June inflation was unexpectedly weak. Wages growth is still flatlining. So you really have to look at some of the new monthly figures on GDP, which were surprisingly strong for May. And indeed, the labor market is still tightening. But it really leaves it as, you know, in kind of the case, if you didn't think interest rates should go up at the last meeting, what's really changed to make them go that way? If you thought interest rates should have gone up at the last meeting, and you're probably still going to vote that way anyway. So the last meeting, it's a 6-3 vote for no change. It wouldn't surprise me if we actually came down to Mark Carney's casting vote on Thursday to decide what's going to happen. I mean, it really is a very tight call. But I think what we can say is that the bank wants, I think, to try and normalise policy with a view to Brexit coming up. If we get a hard Brexit, the banks already described that as being a potential major shock to the UK economy. And it's going to want some ammunition from the mm. monetary policy side to help it. And of course, mm. we've got interest rates at half a percentage point. There's not a lot of cuts there left. Uh-huh. So they just need to get it up for their own um uh, so, so they have uh, uh, elbow room, but exactly it's, that, yeah. it's not—it's not a question, a, immediate question, or a, a change in the outlook for inflation. Not really, no. I mean, if we were surprised with the, the latest set of inflation figures, which actually saw the core rate dipping below the 2% target. So if you just take the latest price numbers, they've actually been very positive for those people calling for no change in interest rates. I think there's much more to do with the fact that the bank really would like to see some form of normalization of policy sooner rather than later. Thanks, guys. Until next week.